Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. So I'm Bill, Bill Siever. For those of you who don't know me, I think I know most of the people in here. I am going to tell you just a little bit about me and mine. Um, And I'm going to tell you a lot about us, not because I want to brag. I don't want to make it sound like we all, we we have everything together because... I don't. I don't have it all together. I grew up around here um, from the great metropolitan area of Smithfield, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, there we go. Got a few fans out there. Uh, Went to school in Cuba, of course. Um, Canton was the city for us, right? We would come to Canton every other week to get groceries if we didn't go to Macomb, which was really awesome because they had Godfather's Pizza, right? So that was special to us. Graduated from high school, went to school down in St. Louis. There's more people in my dorm room than were in my hometown. More people in my first biology lecture than were in my entire high school. I got down there to St. Louis one afternoon, and next morning I got up and I went for a run, something I used to do. I got back to the, well, so I went on my run, and if you're familiar with St. Louis, St. Louis University is by the Fox Theater. If you're familiar with where the Fox Theater is, it's an old part of town. You don't go anywhere else. You walk to the Fox Theater, and you come back to your car, and you don't do it at night if you can avoid it. But I went for a run, and I noticed that very quickly the geography or the environment changed. And then I noticed that people were looking at me, and I noticed that people were yelling at me. And I realized that I was not where I should be. So I turned around. I made it back to my dorm. And people asked me, how was my run at the rec center? I said, rec center? I just ran down the street. And they explained to me why that was a bad idea. Um, And I just say that to say that I spend my time here. I joke with a lot of people that I don't leave Fulton County. I will go for weeks. I've gone for months not leaving Fulton County, and that's in my recent adult life. My wife and I have three children, Um, our son David, daughter Laura, daughter Hannah. We've raised them here, raised them in this very church. We've been members of this church for over 20 years. I've been an elder of this church for more years, more of those years than I haven't been. I've taught adult Sunday school. My wife is the church secretary here. We're involved in a small group. I have a couple of guys that I mentor with on a regular basis. I have a Bible study that I teach at work. I have a guy at work that I'm in an accountability relationship with. I say all that not as bragging, but just our roots are here. We are well established here, and we're very comfortable here. And I'm going to leave my story right there for now. Those of you who know why I'm a mess up here (laughs) know what's coming. But for now, I'm going to leave it. And we're going to look at the book of Acts, 
Maybe I can set that down here. We're going to look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read a fairly long passage. It's verses 26 through the end of the chapter. Um, If you pick up one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1089. Acts chapter 8, picking up at verse 26. I didn't start my time. My time starts now, just so you know. All right, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with, his, with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the, and when it came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be a family. And to look into your word together. God, I pray that you would help us to glean from this the lessons that you would have for each one of us as individuals. And also for us as a, large, as a larger body committed in following you. God, we lift this up to you. May it be glorifying. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as we look at this, the, the idea that I want us to focus on is God's call and our response to that call. And there are so many different lessons in this passage of Scripture. And I will try not to get too hung up on the rabbit trails. But what I really want us to look at is, our, is God's call and our response. So I want us to look at God's call. And as we look at a story like this within the Bible, there's lots of different methods that you could look at to kind of analyze this, this passage of Scripture. I'm just going to use a very basic one today. It's, it's a journalism technique, actually, but it applies well to stories like this in the Bible. And it's just answering the questions of who, what, where, why, and when. So we're going to just kind of spend a couple of minutes getting the setting of this passage of Scripture. And I have a lot of slides. So So the question of who, who's involved in the story? Well, we have Philip. And there are actually four Philips in the New Testament. There's Philip, the apostle of Christ, one of the twelve. 
This ain't him. There's also two bad Philips, two Philips that didn't do good things in the Bible. Fortunately, this isn't one of those Philips either. This is a guy called Philip the deacon. And we actually meet Philip in Acts chapter 6. So just a couple of chapters before where we are right now. And we'll come back to a little bit more about who Philip is in just a second. But that's who the, we're, we're dealing with is Philip the deacon. So what was Philip doing? Well, Philip was going where he was told. We don't really know why he was going there. If we just take the story from the beginning, we don't know the end. If we were to pretend we didn't know the end, we didn't know why Philip was going. And Philip didn't know why he was going where he was going. He was just going. We also have the angel of the Lord. His job was pretty easy. God told him to go deliver a message, and he did. It's worth mentioning that this is an angel of the Lord, not the angel of the Lord. That's the distinction we will sometimes see in the Bible. This is an angel. And then we have the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian was returning home after worshiping. He was in Jerusalem, and he was returning home. Now, it's worth mentioning that Ethiopia, Jerusalem, modern Ethiopia is over here. Biblical Ethiopia is over here. So it's, it's important, mention, worth mentioning that when he was traveling home, he was traveling this way. Um, this kind of brings us to where this occurred. This, this encounter occurred on the road. They didn't meet in the temple. They didn't meet in a church. They did, this is like nausea. I just have waves going over me. <laughs> um, they didn't meet uh, in some special place. These guys were just out on the road doing the thing. The other thing we know about the where is that this was a desert place. It was desert and it was deserted. Um, Philip was traveling from the north-south, and he was traveling along the coast. And there's two, two ways to get to where he was going. There's the longer, decent route, where the weather was better and there was more provision. And then there's the direct route down the coast that was desert and hard, and nobody did it. And that's the road that he was told. And that's why it, it, the Bible tells us that this particular road is a desert place. Because it wasn't easy, it wasn't pleasant, and it wasn't what he would have done had he the choice. If God had just told him, I want you to go to this place, he would have went around a little bit. But God told him, I want you to go on this road. And so this happened in a not very pleasant place. Why was Philip going there? He didn't know. As far as we can tell from the story, God told him to go, and Philip got up and went. He didn't ask why that we know of, and he wasn't told why that we know of. He was just told to go. Um, the other two characters, obviously, the angel of the Lord did it because he was told to, and um, the Ethiopian was there simply because he was trying to get home. So when did this happen? As I just said, Philip went as soon as he was told. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but timing was everything. This was a divine appointment that God had arranged, and the timing was very important. And so it was important for Philip to go when he was told to go. And the other thing to keep in mind is that this was not a pleasant time to be a follower of Christ. This was happening during a time of persecution. We meet Philip in Acts chapter 6, as I said. Um, the apostles, the 12 apostles were in, uh, sorry, the 11 apostles were in Jerusalem, and they were having 
people come to them complaining because their their particular group of people weren't getting the provisions that they thought that they were entitled to. And all these little problems were coming to the apostles. And finally, the apostles were like, look, we can't deal with everything. We're supposed to be preaching and teaching. We can't deal with all this other stuff. You pick for yourself seven guys. And those seven guys are going to be overseers of the day-to-day operations. And so that's what they did. They picked out seven guys. Philip was one of those guys. And there was another guy whose name might be familiar to you, and his name is Stephen. And we'll come to Stephen here in just a little bit. Um, Because Philip and the other seven started their ministry in Samaria. Um, Sorry, they started the ministry in Jerusalem. And then something happened in Jerusalem. Stephen was taken into custody by the Jewish high council because he was a follower of Christ and he had been teaching the gospel. We just met Stephen. He was just chosen. The, it, it is like six verses later that Stephen is seized and they accuse him. And, and before the, the council, he spends a lot of time. The Bible dedicates almost two full pages to Stephen's speech, his oratory before the Sanhedrin, um, the Jewish court, explaining why Jesus was the Messiah. So he gave his testimony, and then they killed him. They stoned him. And a stoning in the Bible, they would pick up big rocks, and they would chuck it at a guy or a lady until they were dead. And it was hard work, and it was hot. And these guys wore nice clothes because they were important, right? And they wanted everyone to know that they were important. So they would take off their outer cloak and they would lay it on the ground, but they didn't want anybody to run off with it. So they would give it, they would give somebody standing around responsibility for watching over their cloaks. And it just so happened on that day that the guy who was watching their cloaks was a guy named Saul. Saul, as we know, in just a short time is going to have a conversion. He's going to be renamed Paul. So this was a time of persecution because until Saul reaches his conversion, this stoning of Stephen kind of launches Saul into his ministry as a Jew, as a Pharisee. And his ministry as a Jew and a Pharisee was to clean house on the followers of Jesus. And so that's what he did. He went and he got writs of arrest. He got these arrest warrants for all these Christians, and he started pursuing them all over the place. And it got so bad that the six remaining deacons, those, you know, there were seven, but they killed Stephen. So the six remaining ones had to leave and go to Samaria. Now, with you, when you read that in chapter 7, it says that they left Jerusalem and went down to Samaria. Which direction do you think they went? This is a side note. When we say you go down somewhere, which direction are you going? Right? That's not how the Bible works. In the Bible, everything centers around Jerusalem. Right? That's the throne of God. That's the temple, the future throne of Christ. And so whenever you read the Bible, if you're moving towards Jerusalem, you're going up. It doesn't matter if you're coming from the south, the north, the east, or the west. And if you're heading away from Jerusalem, you go down doesn't matter if you're going north, south, or east, or west. So that's just a little side note as you're reading. And if you read and you look at a map, you're like, eh? That's why. Jerusalem is the high point, And so you always go down from Jerusalem. So they were in Samaria because of the persecution of Saul. That's what Philip was doing there. When you are hiding from someone because they're trying to kill you, the best thing to do when you find a good place to hide is to stay there. It doesn't really matter if somebody needs you somewhere else. When your life is in danger, our instinct is to stay put. 
So just keep that in mind. So a simple story, if we take those five elements, who, what, where, when, where, when, and why, a faithful servant of God meets a guy along the road, explains the gospel to him, baptizes him, and they go on their way. And that's a beautiful story. There's a lot of elements there. There's the element of being faithful to doing what God tells you to do. Um, as Drew said, wherever Drew went, um, you never know what one gospel encounter can do. Right? Um, there's lots of lessons in that simple story. But... For those of us old enough to remember Paul Harvey, there's the rest of the story as well. We'll see if I get through this. <clears throat> Philip had a ministry in Jerusalem that he had to leave because of persecution. And so he loaded up his family and he took them to Samaria. And then we don't know how long he was in Samaria, but he was there long enough to establish another another ministry and we presume that his family got established as well and we can read that philip was well known and he performed miracles and he had people answering to him and he was doing life and we can presume that they reached some level of comfort there when philip was told to go to head out of samaria and head south towards gaza it was not going to be a pleasant journey we're told that it was a desert place, and I think that's an understatement. It was not going to be fun. That's why the Bible says that this is a desert place. This isn't a resort. This wasn't a vacation. This is going to be a hard place to go. Another rest of the story is that the Ethiopian that we talked about, he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, but he could not truly worship God. He wasn't worthy of God. Because he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. So he would have been what was called a proselyte or a convert. He would have been a converted Jew. But he couldn't really be a good Jew because he was a eunuch. He was damaged goods. He went, to the, he went to the temple to worship, but he couldn't go to the inner court. He didn't have access to God. And it didn't matter how many times he went to Jerusalem. It didn't matter how many times he worshipped. This guy was not going to get to God. Until he met Christ. And the timing had to be perfect. So Philip is, from, is heading from Samaria down to Gaza. The Ethiopian is over here in Jerusalem heading down to Ethiopia. There is one point where those journeys intersect. They have one opportunity. The other thing is Philip is on foot. The Ethiopian is in a chariot. Who catches who? Philip comes upon the Ethiopian. It's not the other way around. Timing was everything. Had Philip delayed, it's, I don't think it's a mistake when we read in the Bible. Or not even a mistake, but I don't think it's just extra words when the Bible says, the angel of the Lord came to Philip and told him to go, and he got up and went. It was important. Had Philip delayed a little bit, had Philip made plans a little bit, had Philip waited until it was a better time, he may not have made that divine encounter. Now, God is sovereign, and he could have slowed down the Ethiopian. He could have made the axle break on his chariot. He could have killed the horse. Anything could have happened, right? God could have made that happen. But God also may have allowed that divine appointment to go unattended. I do think there are many times when there are opportunities for us 
to have a divine appointment that we miss because we don't respond in God's timing. The other thing to realize was when Philip was told to go, he didn't really know where he was going. He didn't know why he was going. And so I think when he met the Ethiopian and had this gospel opportunity and he baptized the guy, I'm thinking, if I'm Philip, I'm going to go home. I see what God wanted me to do. I've done it. I get to get out of here, and I'm going to go back home to my ministry and to my family, and this is awesome. But that's not what happened. You look at this from the, um, from the point of view of Philip, and you know they have the gospel conversation, and I know I'm skipping a lot of stuff, but then they, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. And, I mean, the picture that I have is Philip is putting the guy in the water, you know, buried with Christ in baptism, brings him up, <gasps> raised to walk in newness of life. And when I went through my baptism, Pastor Mike is the guy who baptized me. And I came out of that water, and I'm like, <gasps> and Pastor's like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. But there was just something that happened in me. The spirit was just alive, and it was an amazing experience. And I, maybe it was like that for this um, Ethiopian. And I think he would have been like, man, that was, that, was, that was great, but where are you? What happened? I mean, Philip is gone. He is supernaturally, miraculously transported to another place. And from Philip's point of view, I think he's like, oh, man, that... And he's gone. And he appears in another place that's miles and miles away. And you wonder what this was like. I mean, did God plant him there on the edge of the city where no one saw him? Or was it like Stephen King's book, The Langoliers? Um, don't read Stephen King. But <laughs> uh, in this book, these people were, were traveling in, in mysterious ways, and they would show up in the future, and they would just kind of slowly fade into existence. And they would have to be careful where they allowed this to happen so that they didn't try to occupy the same space as someone else. And it was usually a kid that noticed them. And I wonder if Philip appeared somewhere, and maybe just some sharp-eyed kid is like, look, it's the new guy. You know, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. But somehow or another, Philip was miraculously transported to a new place. And I don't know how long it took him to orient himself to where he was. Like, this isn't Kansas anymore. But as soon as he realized where he was, what did he start doing? He started doing ministry. Right? He didn't start to find a way home. He didn't, like, well, God made a mistake. I'm supposed to be in Gaza. No, he started doing ministry. And the reality is, as far as we know, Philip never makes it back to Jerusalem. As far as we know, Philip never made it back to Samaria. Philip ends up in Caesarea. We see that at the end of the chapter. And chapters and chapters later, years and years later, in Acts chapter 1, that's where Philip is. And we know it's Philip because Paul goes and sees him and is specifically mentioned, and Philip was one of the seven, meaning one of those initial seven who had been chosen. And so Philip ends up in this foreign place with his family. And that's where he spends, as far as we know, the rest of his ministry and his time. So just when Philip might have thought that this mission, this calling from God was over, it was really just getting started. So some points of application 
when God calls, here we go. (laughs) When God calls, respond. We don't always get to pick when. We don't always get to pick why. We don't always get to pick where or the who. But it's important that when God calls, that we respond. And it's important that we respond in his timing. And that doesn't mean necessarily that God is going to call you to do something and you're supposed to pack your bags and go or not pack a bag and just leave completely unprepared. But it does mean that if God has put a timing on your heart, you should do that. When God calls, respond. Another application is to take advantage of the opportunity God gives you. Philip, I don't think, knew when or where he was going to have his divine appointment. Philip was traveling from one place to another. And Brian Strode will tell you that when I am driving, I will not see you. If you wave at me, if you honk at me, Brian says he hangs half of his body, and Brian's a pretty good-sized guy, right? He hangs half his body out his truck window and tries to wave me down, and I don't see him. I am task-oriented. I get focused on what I'm doing to the exclusion of the things around me. And that's not good. And sometimes that happens in ministry as well. I'm so focused on what I'm doing that I miss the opportunities around me. If Philip had been so focused on doing what God had told him to do, go to this place, to the exclusion of being open to other opportunities, he wouldn't have noticed what was going on around him. Philip had to be open to the spirit telling him, go meet this Ethiopian. Go over to that guy. You know, I think sometimes I know for myself, I get that urging, you should go do this, but I'm like, no, I'm doing this. I make this check mark, I will then think about going over here and doing this other thing. If Philip would have been more worried about checking off what God had told him to do before doing this other thing, he may have missed this opportunity. It's important that we don't miss opportunities because we're too busy doing other good things. And don't get too comfortable. As I said before, I really think Philip, as we tend to do, had achieved some level of comfort with where he was in Samaria. Even though it wasn't his hometown, it became his home. It became his ministry. And we don't know how long he was there, but we do know that he was long enough, he was there long enough to do a lot of good things and to establish some good work. He was there long enough for people to know who he was and to have a reputation. And had Philip been so comfortable there that when God told him to move from there, he said, you know, I don't really want to. What would that have looked like? Would this Ethiopian have ever come to faith? Would we have had this story in the Bible? I mean, you look at the repercussions of Philip not doing what he was told. And it gets pretty deep. We don't know what one gospel opportunity might do. We don't know what one opportunity to go help some lady mow her yard. We don't know what one opportunity to talk to that person that looks like they're struggling. We don't know what the consequences of doing that or not doing that might be. So it's important that we don't get so comfortable where we are 
that we refuse God's opportunities to serve. So I'm going to pick up my story. Because we're comfortable. We've got good lives. Our jobs are going really well. God is providing for us overly and abundantly. We're able to invest well in our futures, in the spiritual future. We're really doing, we're comfortable. We like our home. We moved into our home 26 years ago. Thought, you know, when we start having kids, we'll move into something bigger. Now the kids are moving out of the same house. We're pretty comfortable there. The people that we love are here. Some of our dearest and nearest friends are right here in this room today. They certainly live in this community or just a little bit bigger area of the Midwest. We're very comfortable here. And we don't want to leave. But like Philip, we've been called. In March of 22, last year, well, even going back a little bit further than that, we all know the Burkheads, and they've been over in Africa for seven years, I think, now. And for each of those years, my wife wanted to go visit them. And I said, no, are you kidding me? They'll be back here in two years. We'll see them then. Finally, in the fall of 21, a switch flipped. And we were really just having a casual conversation, almost jokingly, hey, we should go see them. And I said, yeah, we should. And so in March of 22, Jill and I went along with Brandon and his son Ezra. We went over to Liberia, Africa to visit the Burkheads with the intention of visiting them, encouraging them, and never going back again. Really, that's what I thought. I went over there. And it wasn't a great trip. It was impactful, but some of you know the details. We saw some hard stuff. And when we were done with that trip, I thought we were done with that trip. And I was ready to come back and do ministry here. And honestly, that did happen. We came back, and I am doing more ministry now than I've ever done in my life. But the reality is that there's still... God has put a call on my heart that there's work to be done over there. And so in May, just a couple of weeks ago, we went back over there, all five of us this time, my family, on what we called a vision trip because we've been working with an organization called SIM and we are making strides towards becoming missionaries over there. And I wish I could say that we had a great trip, but we did not. It was incredibly hard. There were spiritual battles that we were completely unprepared for. And I think it must have been a lot like this for Philip, that his trip probably wasn't real smooth either. And we've been called to this not-so-pleasant place, and I'm going to throw up some pictures here, and I know you can't see them real clearly, but um, that's the beach kind of in front of the compound, and that's just garbage. There's garbage everywhere. That upper right-hand corner, that's the potential house that we might live in. It's not beautiful. The rafters are eaten by termites. The the metal bars that are in the windows so that nobody can get in your house when you're sleeping, they're half rusted away. The yard's a mess. It's not a pleasant place. I don't want to live there. This bottom left-hand corner, it's just it's 
just a picture out in the city. Over here on the right-hand side would be the, the U.S. Embassy, beautifully manicured grounds. You can imagine. This is just the other side of the road. And then this was on the beach. I don't know why this impacted me, but it's a commercial fishing, or it's a fishing net. You know, it's probably 20 feet long. It's full of garbage. I don't know how long it's been there, but it's been there long enough that it's half buried in the sand. I can't imagine how many people have walked by it, but no one has decided to pick it up. It's not a great place. And we're not sure why we've been called us. Why us? Why now? I'm 50 years old. I am not ready to make a life change. <laughs> this, this top left-hand corner, this is us, and we're actually leaving Liberia. None of us is in a good mood at this point. <laughs> we are in the back of a Land Cruiser. It's a heavy-duty SUV. It has bench seats, bench seats in the back that run parallel or facing each other. So there's... A guy named Moses is driving. Can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Another missionary is in the front seat. That's the driver's wife there by Hannah. And then me and David smashed into that side. Laura and Jill are on the other side. And then all of our luggage. I've got luggage here between my knees. All of us do. It's hot. The air conditioner does not work. Why me? Oh, yeah, they were supposed to be there at 4.30. They showed up at 3.45. We're not packed. We did find some good pizza. The ocean is beautiful, except it's full of garbage. You're out there, and you're in the water, and something touches you, and you're like, was that a jellyfish? That was my first thought. I'm like, there's another one. No, it's garbage. So we're not sure why us, and we're not sure why now, and we're not sure where this journey is going to take us. We're not sure how long we're going to be gone. Just some pictures. There is some beauty there where the water comes up and washes the beach clean, and there's a spiritual lesson here. It's beautiful. But up here at the surf line, there's just a line of garbage. And sometimes it's not pleasant garbage. They, when they told us when we were there last year that one time about 4,000 syringes, used syringes, washed up on the beach. You never know what's going to wash up. That's me in some random airport, cashed out, and Laura took my phone, took a selfie. And then that's David sleeping on his sister Hannah in the airplane, and that was hilarious. That was one moment of levity there for sure. He, he slept more than any of us. But we're not sure where this journey is going to take us or how long we're going to be there. But we are trying to be diligent in taking the next right step. Listening to what God has told us to do. Making sure that we're listening in case there's a detour. I am looking for an exit ramp. <laughs> I am hoping there's, a, there's an Ethiopian somewhere along the road that I'm going to minister to. And then this, I'm going to be miraculously transported somewhere else. And I hope it's right here. But we don't know. That's me taking a picture of David taking a picture to prove that David took pictures. And that was for his boss. So, just a little bit of irony there. My wonderful wife, Jill, who, folks, pray for her. 
God is speaking to me. God has put this call on me. And my wife has to have faith that I'm doing the right thing. It's one thing for me to hear God and respond to that. Have faith in God. My wife has to have faith in me. Pray for her. Never seen goats under a palm tree, but boy, I got a picture of them. And then Hannah. We are trying to take the next right step every day to discern and obey what God has planned for us. <clears throat> this is over in Liberia, the, the chapel in the hospital. And if any place needs a chapel, it's that hospital. It's just exactly what you would think an African hospital might look like. With the malnourished children and the people dying of AIDS and the heat and the flies and the stink. Exactly what you might think it would be. And it's as good as it gets over there. And just some pictures of us on our trip. Because we're trying to be like Philip. We're trying to respond when God calls us. We're trying to be like Philip who took advantage of the opportunities that God gave him. And we're really, really trying not to be so comfortable that we refuse to answer that call. So we ask you to pray. I ask you to pray for my family, for Jill and I, that we have a unity of purpose. This last trip rocked our world. It is spiritual warfare. And if you want to know a little bit more details, let us know. We'd love to sit down and talk with you and look for any advice. Liberia is an incredibly dark world spiritually. Things are happening over there today that you might think are out of the Old Testament. So we ask that you pray for unity of purpose and vision in our family because the spiritual warfare is real. And then we ask for strength. Same reason. Really hard choices to make. It is one thing to take a sapling and to transport it. We're talking a 30-year oak. We've got some deep roots here. And we ask for perseverance because it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to make this hard decision. It's a really hard thing to, for six months or a year to stay on task. So we ask for perseverance. Because this is hard. And we do ask for God's continued provision. Certainly financially, God has provided for us so well. And thank you for being the instruments of that provision. Every step of our way has been abundantly funded. And we thank you. Next week we go, not, this, not tomorrow, but the following week, the 11th, Jill and I and Hannah will leave for a week of training in North Carolina. And we're going to talk about money. And I don't want to talk about money to go live in Africa. But that's what I'm going to be doing. And then we have the really hard step of coming and saying, we need support. And so we'd ask that if God continues to call us, that he would continue to provide. I thought that was the last slide, and it is. Thank you, church. Thank you for loving us.
for supporting us, for being here today and listening to me, and I'm sorry that I'm a mess, but I'm a mess. We ask that you would continue to pray again. I've already mentioned that, but I can't say that enough. And we ask that if you have any curiosity at all about what we're doing, that you do reach out to us. We, we need to talk to people, the opportunity to talk this through. And if you have a word of encouragement or if you have a word of wisdom, we need to hear that. Because this is a family, and this is a family decision. And we value your input. So as the worship team comes up, I'll close in prayer. And I don't even know where I'm at on time. Not too bad. Heavenly Father, thank you for your strength that I got through this. Thank you for your provision, for your guidance. Thank you for Philip and for the example that we have of his life, his obedience, his response to your call. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for our friends, our family, that we have grown so near to that it's hard to leave. But we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to each one of us in our lives to respond when you call, to not waste the opportunities we're given, and to get not get so comfortable that we refuse to leave. Lord, we lift us up in the name of Christ.